0: I'm a honey, i
1: Welcome to the Bruce Siski Show. Follow the Bruce Siski Show on Twitter to interact anytime. Got something on your mind? You can text Bruce during the show by using the short code 84454. You're listening to the Bruce Siski Show on 610 and FM 103.9, KDAL.
2: 10:11, it is a Wednesday, 20th of December, 2023. Bruce Siski Show on KDAL. Katie, I'll get to have you along. Our best of 2023 series will continue in about 25 minutes. My conversation from October with UMV men's hockey graduate forward, transfer from Penn State, Connor McMenamin. Hope you enjoy that coming up in a little bit. But first, we talk some Packers joining us from the Pack-A-Day podcast, covers the Packers basically like a glove, Andy Herman. Good morning, sir hey good morning thanks so much for having me Uh, thank you Andy for doing this uh I got in touch with you last week and and I had no idea what was going to happen here uh, on Sunday in that Tampa Bay game I certainly did not expect to watch Baker Mayfield basically throwing against air for three hours like he was and putting up a perfect passer rating at Lambeau Field is that game's going on Andy what's going through your mind
0: Oh, that's a great question. Um, There's a variety of different things. I think it obviously and clearly starts with the defensive side of the ball. I think the maybe most interesting thing is, is nothing that happened throughout the course of that game defensively, even though it was shocking from a scoreboard standpoint and the way Baker Mayfield was kind of just tearing through the defense and, as you said, almost passing on air. None of that was Super surprising or shocking, just because we've seen versions of this all throughout the season, specifically in some key situations and key moments. But you didn't see it for that long of a period of time throughout the course of a game. You didn't see it for all four quarters. But a lot of the things that plagued this defense all season long, some of the like, like uh, for instance, the third and four situations where just Chris Godwin sitting underneath and completing easy first downs. We've seen those situations and scenarios all season long. And maybe the thing that's slightly surprising is the one thing that this team has kind of held its hat on a little bit is not allowing these big explosive plays. And in that game, they allowed a lot of big explosive plays. But this defense never really passed the eye test through the course of the season. It was this really weird juxtaposition of they were bad in DVOA. They were bad in creating turnovers. They're bad in stopping the run. They're bad in, like, all these key categories – but you looked up, and they were ninth in points allowed on the season. It, it, like so much so that, like, I had to do like a double take, a triple take. I'm like, no, nothing really makes sense here. But like, did they figure some new fangled NBA style? Hey, we're going to give up a bunch of long two pointers so that we don't allow three pointers and layups of defense. And it's just this new thing that, hey, when you put all this into the mix, it actually comes out and it's okay. The answer was no. The defense was never very good. They got away with playing some bad teams. They had a couple good games against Mahomes and Jared Goff a couple weeks ago. But this is the same defense we saw all season long, and it just kind of exploded all in one. Baker Mayfield, unbelievable, crazy performance in one day in in Lambeau Field.
2: It feels like, and, and the past defense numbers haven't been atrocious this season, Andy, but it feels like a defense that... If they're not getting pressure, and by the way, if they're it, it, to get that pressure, they're not blitzing hardly ever. They don't they don't bring five six guys all that often. It, you know, they're rushing four, and if they don't get pressure rushing four, they're in a whole heap of trouble.
0: Yeah, it's basically pressure and or sack or bust. They don't have any playmakers in the secondary. I mean, the only corner that has a an interception on the year was, I think, that Keyshawn Nixon pick uh, outside of Russell Douglas, who is, of course, now playing in Buffalo. There's, the, you can tell this coaching staff, and, and clearly Joe Barry does not trust his defensive backfield, and to some extent, it's hard to blame him for that thought process. You look at where they're throwing at, and on the, the second level of Green Bay's defense. Devondre Campbell and Quay Walker were terrible in coverage in that game. At corner, you had Corey Valentine, Eric Stokes in his first game back, Keyshawn Nixon, a seventh-round pick, in Carrington Valentine. Two journeyman safeties in Rudy Ford and Jonathan Owens. Even when Darnell Savage's safety is healthy, excuse me, or you've got an Anthony Johnson, nobody. And that second level of defenders is scaring you unless all of a sudden Jair Alexander comes back and starts playing at that all-pro level again. You can throw at any of those guys, especially when you've got a Mike Evans and a Chris Godwin, and feel like, hey, those guys are just going to find ways to get open. And so Joe Barry's trying to, I think, overcompensate, make sure that he's he's got seven guys in coverage just to make sure at all times. Um, and it's just not working. Like you said, if they get pressure, it looks good. They end up with five sacks in that game. A huge forced fumble by Kingsbury and Iqbari, uh, with the fumble recovery as well. But if, if they don't get that, it's just over. And even when they do get that, One of the big issues in that game is that they would get a big sack. It would be second, 18, and then they'd just convert the first down in a play or two right after it. So there's obviously a lot going wrong with this defense right now.
2: Andy Herman, Packaday Podcast, our guest. And I I don't want to sit and harp on this defense, this whole conversation. I promise I'm not going to do that. But in in announcing or confirming, however you want to say it, Monday that Joe Barry is going to remain the, the, the defensive play caller, For the remainder, at least, of this season, Matt LaFleur talked about all the communication issues. And and I wanted to throw something at my computer as I'm watching this, Andy, because this is week 16. This is year three in this defense. I understand there's some new guys. I get it. But – Devondre Campbell's not new to this defense. Quay Walker's not new to this defense. And, and there's a lot of guys that, that are playing right now that aren't new to this defense. And, and quite frankly, if you've been on this team all season, you're not new to this defense anymore. The communication breakdowns, to me, it, that screams that this team is poorly, this unit is poorly coached. It, tell me I'm wrong. It, it, that's what it feels like to me. I, 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 I hear those terms this late in the season. I think that's a poorly coached team.
0: No, it's really funny. I said something very similar uh, for today's episode on Pack-A-Day. And basically saying the same thing. It's funny because if you just told me, like, hey, it was a bad play call – I'd be like, all right, that, you, know, you can't have a bad play call for four quarters and keep calling bad play calls for four quarters. But it almost sounds better than our guys can't communicate and align correctly in week 16 in the third year of this defense. Like that, that's way worse. It's way, way worse. So regardless of what it is, whether it was poor play calling, whether it was guys that weren't able to communicate on the defense in, I guess, week 15 last week, um, and again, the third year of the defense, a lot of the, the, the offense would be understandable. And there were some things that offensively didn't go correct. There's guys in the wrong spots on routes. You expect that from a bunch of guys who are in the first or second year. To your point, like Devondre Campbell and you know Kenny Clark, Preston Smith, Rudy Ford, Jonathan Owens, these guys are not, and Keyshawn Nixon, these are not first or second year players in this league. Um, these are guys who have been a part of either this defense or a part of similar defenses for a long time now. So the fact that they cannot get those basic skills down, that is more damning than I think just a a bad play call or a bad series of plays. Uh, I'm totally with you. I think whether this is a a scheme thing a coaching thing the players not being uh you know held accountable to make sure that they are understanding of everything at this point in the season that all comes back to coaching and coordinating at some level and like i said it, it just feels almost worse than just a couple bad play calls
2: uh, what'd you think of eric stokes You had a chance to watch the l22 uh, what'd you think of his first game back he's certainly put in a tough spot
0: yeah, it's a tough spot. I would throw this out the window, and I think the big takeaway I would have is that Eric Stokes is back playing almost for an entirety of a game, and that's the biggest positive here. Yeah, he got beat a couple times. Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, those are tough matchups in your very first game back after 13 months of missing action on the defensive side of the ball. I think the big question for him is his superpower, if you will, was that 4 3 speed. He was never a technically sound corner coming out of college or even in his good rookie year. That caught up with him already in his second year where he really needed to work on his technique. But I go back uh, in his rookie season, he was covering Jamar Chase, and Jamar Chase beats him, and he's just got the speed to kind of get back into play and bat away a pass. I don't know that he still has that 4 three forty speed, and if he doesn't, he's got to become an entirely different corner and like i said i'm willing to throw everything in this game out the window because this is his first game back there's going to be some rust and he's just going to have to kind of get back in game shape but That's going to be the big thing that I'm watching with him forward is, does he still have that game-changing speed? Because if he doesn't, he's going to have to completely evolve the way that he plays the game as a corner.
2: What is, and we'll get to the offense in a second, what are the adjustments that have to be made on the defensive side of the ball in terms of how how they're being deployed, how they're trying to play as you look forward to these final three games of the season, including against a Vikings offense that they can certainly move the ball. I don't know if they can protect it while they're doing so, but they can move it.
0: Yeah, I think it starts with situational defense. There's not anything that they're going to be able to do with three weeks remaining in the season that's going to change everything, and all of a sudden they're going to be this super-competent defense. There's a handful of plays in this game where it's third and short, and they've got their safeties, yards back. I'll, I'll go over one in, in specific and in particular. There's a, a, game, a play with about eight minutes left in the game. It's a third and four, I want to say. And... The, they're down by seven. The Packers are down by seven at this point. Eight minutes left, and Tampa's got the ball. And they, the Tampa snaps it. Their safeties are 25 yards. Both safeties are 25 yards past the first down marker. They're playing nine on 11 on a key third and four with seven, eight minutes left in the game when they have to get the ball back on this play to get their offense a chance to go down and tie the game up. And just that situational awareness and that situational play calling you at some point you have to have the ability to say, "Hey, we need to be aggressive here. We need to get a stop. We're going to t- if they go and get, you know get a play over the top on us, so be it. But we're going to be aggressive here and we're going to try to get this stop right here and now. Instead, it's one of those easiest in the world. Passing on air, third and four completions again. They pick up the first down, they drive down, they score a touchdown, and it's game over from there." And those sort of things just have to get cleaned up and fixed. And, of course, it goes without saying the alignment issues, the communication issues, those things need at least start to get ironed out and get better but just even those key situations would go a long way in at least making it feel a little bit more competitive moving forward for this defense
2: Andy Herman packaday podcast got a few more minutes other side of the ball it feels like Jordan love has taken some major steps and I know his footwork has gotten a little wonky uh, on some especially those short out throws of the last couple of weeks he's missed a couple of throws that they look on TV really easy I know it's not that simple but it feels like his footwork has been off how much of a factor and is that the fact that the pass protection hasn't been as good as of late either. Is that affecting his confidence and his trust in the offensive line?
0: Um, You know, it's interesting. In the Giants game, I thought he lowered his eyes a little bit more and started watching the pass rush and um, kind of getting out of the pocket when he didn't need to. I didn't see that quite as much in the Tampa game. I thought he stood in the pocket more. And was willing to keep his eyes downfield and make those plays on a couple of those, like the the miss to Jaden Reed on that opening drive where he had him in the end zone for a touchdown. Not real pressure on that play. He's just got to set his feet, um, hit his receiver, and, and like you said, kind of work on some of those fundamentals. That's something he he has so many positives that he's checked off this season already. As you mentioned, just as you know, being the starting quarterback coming in after three years of MVP play and kind of taking that mantle on. He's had so much on his plate. As we mentioned, the defense has not been good. They haven't had a rushing offense all season long. He's playing with rookies and second-year players all over the place on offense, an offensive line that's been up and down and missing David Chiari. Everything has been on his plate, and he's come up big far more often than not. But he's going to have to kind of go back to the lab in this off season and continue to work on his fundamentals and footwork. Tom Clements will be on that. I, you know, he learned from Aaron Rodgers, and Rodgers would constantly talk about playing from the legs down. That's just going to be something that is not going to be this immediate overnight fix. But he's got all of the really hard things checked off now. If he can just work a little bit more on that footwork and t- footwork and timing, he's going to be in an amazing position going into his second year as a starter.
2: They ran eight times for 44 yards of Aaron Jones on the opening drive Sunday. What, what happened? Why, why did they get away from that?
0: There's a few things at play here. The first is that Aaron Jones was definitely on a snap count through the entirety of the game, and unfortunately I think they probably used about three-quarters of that up on the opening drive. That was number one. Number two is they were playing from behind almost the entirety of the game, and it felt like their best opportunity was probably to get back in the game with continue to pass. They were having success doing it. That's the route they went with. And the third thing that definitely played a factor as well, there were a lot of run-pass options that Jordan Love had at his disposal, and he passed out of them far more often than not, and correctly. so. There have been times in the past, even with Aaron, where there would be a lot of run-pass options, and you would look at him and they threw the ball, and you're like, ah, that probably should have been a run. There wasn't really that aspect of it this time. I thought Jordan made the correct reads and the correct calls to get the ball out of his hands, um, make those throws to his wide receivers. There was one where he almost threw – Uh, interception kind of threw behind his, his wide receiver a little bit on an RPO and that probably should have been a handoff. But other than that, I thought he made the, the correct reads the vast majority of the day on those.
2: With, with guys like Dontavian Wicks and Tucker Craft, who's been tremendous, and Luke Musgrave, hopefully get him back here at some point these last couple of weeks of the season, see what those two can do on the field together. But these young receivers, how excited should Packers fans be between Jordan Love and these really young receivers who have looked awesome here in the last couple of weeks?
0: Yeah, we haven't seen this offense really play at full yet, and I think that's what's so exciting. And if you could all of a sudden get uh, an Aaron Jones back, a Christian Watson back full-time, a Luke Musgrave back, with what we've seen from Jaden Reed and uh, Tucker Craft, Ontavian Wicks, Romeo Dobbs. What I really love about this entire group is they have – all different flavors of player. They've got their big, speedy wide receiver in Watson, a possession guy in Dobbs, a route runner in Wicks, a gadget guy in Jaden Reed, a more traditional tight end in Tucker Craft, a move tight end, a big receiving tight end in Luke Musgrave, a blocking tight end in Ben Sims, a power back in Dylan, a speed slash shifty back in Aaron Jones. They have all the flavors that they need to run just about anything that they want to run. They just need all of them healthy at the same time, and we'll see what that brings next year, especially with Aaron Jones and some decisions needing need to be made in that running back room, but overall, they're in a really good spot, especially with all these guys being first- and second-year players at wide receiver and tight end.
2: How can people find the pack Day podcast, Andy? Yeah, you can find it on YouTube as well
0: as wherever you get your favorite podcast, 365 days a year, so yeah, make sure to check that out.
2: Andy, thank you. Happy holidays to you and yours, and we'll talk soon. Hey, sounds great. Thanks so much. Andy Herman, the pack Day podcast. Find it on YouTube or, like me, just subscribe via Spotify or Wherever you get your favorite podcast. The new podcast on the Packers every day. The man after my own heart. 1027. Best of 2023 continues with UMV men's hockey forward Connor McMenamin. That's after the news. Bruce Siski, show brought to you by Sanju. Sanju.com on KDAL. This is the Golden Gopher
1: Daily Update. I'm Mike Grimm. The University of Minnesota football team is set to take on Bowling Green in the Quick Lane Bowl in Detroit next Tuesday. We'll hear from starting quarterback
2: Cole Kramer of Eden Prairie next. we are professionals we are family and friends
1: we are volunteers we are community partners we are a team dedicated to helping you succeed we help protect and serve america's businesses when you need us we're here to help at federated mutual insurance company it's
2: our business to protect yours rated a plus superior by am best
1: company for starting QB Cole Kramer says he's ready to go next week. You know, I feel great. I think uh, preparation is definitely the key
3: to confidence, and um, you know, going into this game, we all feel good. Uh, practice been going
1: great. Um, you know, all around the ball, both offense and defense, and I'm extremely excited. Um, How is preparation different as you, through most of your career, were
2: preparing to play if there was an injury or if specific situations came up, as you had so many times in a Wildcat setting? So now, you're the every-down quarterback, you're the starter, you're going to get the first snap of the game or the first snap offensive of the game.
3: Yeah, for me, uh, you know, preparation's going to stay the same. Um, No matter if I was the Wildcat guy or, you know, backup, I always prepared as if I was, you know, going to be the starter, starting quarterback. And um, you know, I'm just going to go into this game with that same mindset and, um, you know, be prepared for, for any situation.
1: What's your emotion now as we get ready for this one? Man, I'm, I'm super excited. I, uh, you know, I feel completely blessed. Um, you know, God's path is, you know, different than
3: mine. And it's the key, you know, it just, uh, um, just shows what, you know, when you trust in God
1: and trust in, you know, the process where it can take you. That's Gopher quarterback Cole Kramer, and that's the Golden Gopher Daily Update. I'm Mike Graham. Sound off with Brad Bennett. Michael, Michael. Midday's on KDAL.
2: More to come. Our Best of 2023 series will continue with UMD Men's Hockey. Graduate transfer Connor McMenamin, his journey from Penn State to UMD, and his thoughts on being a Bulldog. All to come after we hear from CBS News. Bruce Siski show brought to you by Sanju. Sanju.com. It's 1033 at KDAL. The
1: Bruce Sisky Show.
0: You don't even know what stupid is. It's about to get
1: all stupid up in here. On 610 and FM 103.9 KDAL. 1037.
2: Uh, a couple of things before we get to Connor McMenamin. The NCHC has made the official change. They will be going to on-campus for its conference tournament beginning in 2026. The Excel Energy Center has been the home of the NCHC postseason championship since 2018. It was Target Center prior to that. And they are going away from the neutral site model as the Big Ten and the CCHA and Atlantic Hockey have previously done. I've heard from a lot of people, and this isn't surprising, uh, that are very passionate about this and, and very upset at the fact that the league has decided to do away with the frozen faceoff as we know it at Excel Center in St. Paul. And I get it. Like, I completely understand why there are some fans that are ticked about this. There are a lot of people that are going to embrace this. And the reality is that it's been embraced on the campus sites, especially the CCA chain, the Big Ten. I mean, the Gophers have sold out that championship game here a couple of times. It's been a tremendous atmosphere at Mariucci. That's what we should want in our sport, quite frankly. This is what we should have in our sport, are these, these types of championship atmospheres for our biggest games. So in that regard, I think this is going to be a good thing. I do understand the the fans that are upset by it. You know, folks that live close to the cities that have enjoyed going to, to these conference tournaments for, you know, going back to the final five days prior to this. And those folks' opinions should not be discounted. Just keep in mind that this is going to be a good thing for student-athletes, which is what this is supposed to be about uh, by and large. And congratulations to Coy Parrish and his family and the ESCO football family. As Coy made it official signing this morning his letter of intent to play college football for the Gophers. Had the courtship with Ohio State after committing to the Gophers in April, but Coy Parich has made it official. He will be a Gopher in the fall of 2024. Uh, our Best of 2023 series continues now. Here's my conversation with UMD Men's Hockey Forward graduate transfer from Penn State, Connor McMenamin. All right, so you're from Pennsylvania, four years at Penn State, played over 100 games there. You guys won a bunch of hockey games in four years. How does that guy end up in Duluth, Minnesota?
3: Yeah, so I actually um... – Played at Shattuck St. Mary's here uh, in high school. Um, And I actually played a couple tournaments up in Duluth um, here at Amsoil and and the deck. So, you know, um, I think I did well enough to get recognized by them, you know, during my recruiting process. I met Coach Sandlin, obviously, and um, took some unofficial visits here and kind of fell in love with the place. And, you know, for whatever reason, maybe uh, the timing didn't work out. Um, You know, so then I ended up at uh, Penn State and, you know, that was my dream school being a PA kid. And um, yeah, and then, you know, luckily after four years, I had that COVID year and um, I was fortunate enough to enter the transfer portal and get a phone call from Coach Sandlin here and um, kind of made both dreams come true.
2: You ever think? You ever think about how small a world this is? That that you know, this guy from Pennsylvania, Eastern Pennsylvania, ends up playing some hockey games in Duluth, and and, and look where he are now.
3: Yeah, it's uh, it's crazy, and and you know, even you know, with Coach Sandlin, I know Ryan, uh, his son. You know, I played a couple of tournaments with him and uh, the USA Hockey camps and um, Sioux City. Um, so it, yeah, it's a, it's a crazy small world.
2: So Pennsylvania guy, Eagles or Steelers? Oh Eagles. <laughs> I, I just I had to, I know you're closer to Philly than Pittsburgh but I had to confirm yeah. it. I had, yeah. I had, I had to be sure. Um no, we're talking to a UMD graduate uh, transfer Connor McMenamin. Uh the the thrill of of getting on that ice for the first time in that first game against Michigan Tech the Hockey Hall of Fame game.
3: Yeah, that was uh that was really cool. Um you know, obviously we've been practicing here for a month and um you know, you get to see the arena every day and so you're just you know imagining what it's like filled up and and the students and fans going crazy. So um, that was a cool experience for my
2: first game for sure. What is the portal experience like? We we keep hearing about the transfer portal. It, it, it wasn't a long process for you though.
3: No, um, I, it wasn't long, but it was very stressful. Um, you know, obviously the decision to leave, you know, that's weighing on you, and then um, you have um you know coaches calling uh left and right or texting or emails or you know however they get in contact with you and um they're all trying to sell you their program and it's just like a lot to take in and in uh, a couple of days so luckily i i think i entered on like a thursday so um you know i had thursday friday and then i had the weekend kind of just take everything in and uh think about what i really wanted to do and then um yeah, Monday. I think Monday morning. Ultimately, I gave uh, Coach Sandlin a call back, and you know, I knew where I wanted to go after after hearing everyone speak and um, you know talking with Coach Sandler. Just you know, Duluth felt right.
2: Is there for you? Like we, I talked to coaches about this, and and I know they're looking forward to not having the the COVID year for guys, and and you know maybe yep. being more of a of a coach than a GM again. You know that that's yep. the one, that's the one phrase I hear from a lot of guys, but. They also talk about, you know, it's a it's a difficult thing because you have to vet this player that you might not know very well. in In this case, you had some contacts. That, you know, how much did that help you in, in making your decision that this was the right place to be?
3: Yeah, I I think it made all the difference in the world. You know, I don't think uh, I don't know necessarily how it would have played out if I you know went somewhere where it was brand new and uh, I didn't know anyone and and yada yada. But Um, I think just knowing it gives you a little bit of a sense of comfort and, um, you know, obviously Coach Sandlin's a great coach. You see all the history at at UMD, so that obviously, um, you know, entices people to come here. And I think it did the same thing to me, so.
2: We're talking to UMD senior Connor McMenamin. Uh, So, (laughs) your last game at Penn State, I know it didn't go the way you wanted it to, but but – Tell me about that atmosphere in Allentown. We we hear all the time about NCAA regionals and they're not well attended and all this. Well, this was not that. This was you know Penn State playing in its home regional in Allentown. I know it's not exactly on campus, but that atmosphere, at least on television, was just incredible.
3: Yeah, that um, that game against Michigan was. You know, I, I said it to uh, a couple guys on my team last year after you know we let it settle in, but um i th- I think that was probably the coolest college hockey game i've I've played in um just to see the support from from the fans that, that traveled downtown from penn state and all around the area um against you know michigan in a in a game to go to the frozen four overtime. you know it's everything you dream of as a kid uh you just wish it was a national championship but um yeah obviously that stunk that was a that was a tough way to to end my career there um, but at the same time, I was very thankful.
2: Uh, Connor, assess for for folks that haven't had a chance to watch you play yet. Assess your game, kind of self scout uh, Connor McMenamin for us.
3: Yeah, um, you know, I, I think I'm a 200 foot player. I, I base my game on that. Um, I uh, I think I'm able to play up and down the lineup. I can, um, you know, be put in a scoring position in the top six, or I could be. You know, putting an energy forecheck position and, and needed for defense on the, in the bottom six. I think I can do both pretty well. And um, you know, I love uh, I love being a guy that's out there on the penalty kill um, or being you know up a goal with a minute left and blocking a shot. Like I, th- I live for those moments. And um, yeah, scoring a goal is nice. But uh, yeah, I just think uh, I'm a two way player. You know, I love playing all 200 feet of the the ice out there. So.
2: Scott Sandlin called you a Swiss Army knife. Do you, do you think that that kind of applies? It, you you, sound, you just kind of described the hockey version of one, it feels like.
3: Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, that's and that's who I try to be. I think that's a very valuable piece to a team, um, you know, because you have your guys that are, are put in those roles that, you know, they, they're scorers, they can score goals. You have guys that necessarily, you know, aren't scorers but can add some secondary scoring, and then you have your guys that um, – you know, you need for your energy, you need your PK, you need him to, to f- check the other lines, uh, the other team's first line. So um, i like to think I can I can do all of it and, and, you know, play wherever I'm needed.
2: Tough news here this week with the loss of Dom James. What, what kind of character have you noticed him to be? Everybody talks about the, the, the emotion and, and the character he brings into a locker room.
3: Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, on the ice, everyone everyone knows him. That's a, uh, a huge loss. We're going to have to have – a a next man up mentality, uh, from here on out, but, um, just in the locker room, you know, that's a big presence loss. Um, you know, obviously I think he'll still be around and as much as he can, but, um, you know, everything he brought, he was a captain, um, loud voice, uh, funny guy, made guys laugh and, um, just kind of brought that locker room together. So, um, yeah, I think, uh, a couple of the older guys, including myself, we're going to have to, you know, step up and, and help replace his voice. And, um, do everything we can to to make sure that, that our team's still good to go.
2: I talked to a Dom just last week, and I asked him about you. Know, this you know, he he always seems to be credited as being the jokester in a room. I, I remember when he played on the World Junior Team. USA Hockey had a little video they put up on on the social media, and he he was the guy that that was he was the biggest jokester in the room. Like according to every single one of his teammates on that World Junior Team, you've been a captain in Juniors. You've worn a letter in college at Penn State. How valuable is that type of guy in a locker room? We've seen the Wild here recently trading for guys that have that personality they can bring to a locker room.
3: Yeah, I mean, that's extremely valuable. Um, You know, as a team, you want to show up to the rink every day and and have guys that want to be there. And um, to have a guy like Dom come in and and just make everyone laugh, like, you know, that that makes guys want to get out of bed and want to go to the rink, you know what I mean? So um, to lose that is... Is tough, but um, like I said, you know, that's where we're going to have to have some other guys step up and maybe find uh, a new prankster or a new joke guy in the locker room Yeah,
2: A couple more here for Bulldog senior Connor McMenamin. Why number 39? Anything behind that?
3: Um, no. Uh, I was number 19 last year, and um, obviously that was taken here by uh, Riley Bodnichuk. So uh, just something with an eye in it. Um, i think there's 29 and, and 39 so uh, i chose 39 cuz my my line mate wore 29 last year so i couldn't i couldn't take that one either
2: is there something for you with the number 9 or is that just you just wanted to stick with the, with something with a 9 in it cuz that's what you had at penn state
3: just something with a 9 in it yeah i don't know if i uh i don't know what it is but just uh like the number like the way it looks so um, just something, something with the nine in it.
2: Two superstition-related questions. You can thank your team's Instagram account for the inspiration on this. <laughs> what is uh, what is your uh, what is your pregame superstition?
3: Um, I don't really have a uh, a big superstition. I guess on Thursday nights, like before the weekend, I I always eat uh, a steak, mashed potatoes, and asparagus. Um, same same meal uh, every Thursday night. So. I, you know, maybe that's a superstition, but, you know, on game day or, or anything like that, I don't have anything crazy.
2: What is the weirdest ritual superstition, whatever you want to call it, that you can recall involving a teammate? You do not have to name the teammate. Uh,
3: I don't know if I can. I haven't had anyone with uh, any anything super crazy. Um, I think the guys that... Uh, um, you know, I'm calling out some, a couple guys on our team here. Um, <laughs> people can watch the videos if they want on Instagram and see who I'm talking about. But uh, I think the guys who have to put on their one side of their gear before the other are a little crazy. Um, but uh, I guess, you know, we call superstition or routine. That's, the, that's their thing. So it gets ready. But, yeah, I think that's probably, you know, some of the more crazy, if you want to call it that superstitions I've seen.
2: That is Bulldog graduate transfer Connor McMenamin. The Bulldogs return off holiday break one week from tomorrow with the Quick Trip holiday face-off in Milwaukee versus Northeastern. Our coverage at 3.30 next Thursday here on KDAL. Wrap it up in a moment. Bruce show at 10.50.
1: Your Twin Ports home for Twins baseball. In the corner. go KDAL.
2: All right, one more live show in 2023. That'll be tomorrow. And it is our annual World Junior Hockey Championship preview. World Juniors start Tuesday in Sweden. We will speak tomorrow with Dave Starman, who will be behind the mic for all the U.S. games in the World Juniors for NHL Network. Always excited to preview the World Juniors. Watch the World Juniors. And Dave joins us to talk about it tomorrow. Brad's up next. Sound off for your Wednesday. Have a good one. Thank you for listening, everybody.
1: This has been the Bruce Siski Show. Hit us up on Twitter at Bruce Siski Show and let us know what you think. No. Yes. No. Well...